James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we'll be getting there in just a few moments. Um, but I want to talk about a topic that is of a very practical nature. And uh, it's an area where we all need to grow. It's an area where we all have had failures in our Christian life. And so I would like to share that with you this evening. James chapter 3 is kind of going to be home base, although I'll be using a lot of scriptures. Uh, probably won't be time to turn there. And uh, so if you just jot them down in your notes, you can look those up later and, and you can um, study those verses on your own. I was not going to ever tell a soul about this story, but it fits so well with my message tonight that I guess I'm going to break my own rule and uh, I'm going to share it with you here this evening. Uh, I may have shared it with some of you previously, but um, something that happened to me that was rather embarrassing and uh, uh, embarrassing things I kind of like to keep to myself, you know, so nobody, so nobody else knows about them. And uh, you ever been on playing one of those games when they say, what is your most embarrassing moment? I never tell them my most embarrassing moment. You know, I, I, I tell them one of my embarrassing moments, but my most embarrassing moment, nobody finds out about that. So um, one day I had been talking with Becky on the phone, and um, I've gotten into this habit, and, and I admit it's kind of a reflex programmed response, but I also have to admit that I do mean it very much. Whenever we're talking on the phone, uh, there's kind of this sign-off that I have. And the sign-off goes like this. Okay, love you, bye. That's how I end my conversations with Becky. Okay, love you, bye. And, and the okay kind of launches me into this, uh, you know, muscle memory kind of thing. You know, it just comes naturally. Okay, love you, bye. And I do mean it. You know, it's, 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 it's nothing that I don't mean. It's just that it's become kind of a... Like I said, a muscle memory thing for me. My, my brain just kind of spits it out. So I had been talking with Becky one day, and, and uh, our conversation ended. And I said, okay, love you, bye. And I hit the stop button on my cell phone, and immediately my phone rang. And uh, I answered the phone, and it was a friend by the name of Mike. And Mike is a fellow that I had been meeting with on a, reg a regular basis. We'd met once a week for discipleship. And uh, so Mike was calling, and he was letting me know that he w was not going to be able to make our Tuesday meeting that week, but he would be available again the following Tuesday. And so we chit-chatted for a little bit, and it came time to end the call. And I said to Mike, okay, love you, bye. And I hit the, the stop button. Of course, that ended the call. And I'm like, what did I say? Now, don't get me wrong. Mike is a great friend. And, and you know how guys say, I love him in the Lord. You know, that's, that's kind of how we, how we say. But, um, but I did not intend to say that. And I did not intend to say it in that manner. And so I called Mike back and said, Mike, man, I'm sorry. You know, um, that's, that's how I hang up with my wife. And I had just been talking to her right before I talked to you. And, and it just came out. I'm sorry. You know, and, and uh, he said, he laughed. We both laughed about it. And he said, well, hey, I love you too. And we hung up. <laughs> so my, my mouth can get me in trouble at times. When I, when I don't even mean for it to, it gets me in trouble. I'll never forget when I was pastoring in Defiance. And 
I had a stack of envelopes on my desk. It was uh, a mailing that I wanted to send out. And um, it was a bit of a, of a sensitive type of a mailing. So I was going to handle it myself rather than have our secretary handle it. Now, I don't know if any of you are like this, but I do not lick envelopes. Anybody else like that? I, I don't lick envelopes. I'll lick my thumb and run my thumb across the envelope, but I don't lick envelopes. I mean, who knows who's been handling that envelope? And so I just don't lick the envelopes. And I had about 30 envelopes to send. Well, I remembered that our secretary had this little bottle, uh, a bottle of water, and had a, a piece of foam rubber on the end, and she'd run it across the envelope and it would seal it. And I thought, hey, I'll use that thing that she has. All I knew was a thing, a thing that had water in it and it sealed envelopes. And uh, so I thought, I'll, I'll use that. And so without even thinking, I walked out into the secretary's office. My office was very much like the one here. I'd opened the door of my office and I was in the secretary's office. And I went up to Christy and I said, Christy, where do you keep the liquor? L-I-C-K-E-R? <laughs> and she went, and was shocked immediately. I knew what I meant. The thing that licks envelopes. The L-I-C-K-E-R. But that's not the way it came out to her. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that. Okay, now let's cut to the chase. Am I the only one whose mouth gets them in trouble? Anybody else ever had your mouth get you in trouble? Have you ever said anything that you wish that you could suck it back and nobody knew it was ever said? Yeah, that happens. That happens a lot. In fact, after I preached this in the afternoon service, I had people coming up to me telling me about things that they had said that they wish they could get back. And then when they started sharing those things with me, it started reminding me of things that I have said that I wish I could get back. If you do not struggle with your tongue, I, I can say this without hesitation because the Bible makes it very clear. If you do not struggle with your tongue, you are not human. Don't know what you are, but you're not human if you don't struggle with your tongue because it's part of the human condition. It's something that's common to all of us. We all struggle with the tongue. It just happens, and there's nothing that we can do to keep from struggling with the tongue. You can count on it. You're going to offend with your tongue. And sometimes you're going to offend with your tongue even when you don't mean anything by it. Your intent, what you intended to say might be totally innocent, but you can offend with your tongue. Back when our kids were going to Christian school, uh, their Christian school had a banquet for the parents toward the end of the year. Um, no, no kids involved. Uh, it was not in any way connected academically. It wasn't like a meeting with their teacher or anything. It was just a banquet for the parents. And um, Becky and I, our, we had two kids in the school, and so Becky and I went to the banquet. And when I got there, the principal came up to me and said, uh, Pastor Tim, could you open in prayer and then ask the blessing upon the meal? 
And I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to. And she said, well, we have someplace special for you right down front so you'll be nice and close to the microphone so you can get up and pray. And so I said, sure, that'd be fine. And she walked off. And as soon as she walked off, one of my professors that I had had in Bible college walked in the door. He also had kids in that school. And he walked in, and we chit-chatted just for a couple of seconds, and he said, uh, my wife and I are sitting right over there. Would you like to sit with us? And I said, oh, I would love to, but I can't. They have someplace special for me. And he goes, oh, heaven forbid you sit with us peons. And I thought, oh, I didn't mean it that way. I, I, I in no way meant to offend him. But, I mean, that has stuck with me all these years. I mean, my kids were, like, in grade school, and now they've got their own kids going into middle school. And... Um, all those years ago, and I still remember that, had no intent of, of anything haughty or, or proud at all. It's just something that came out, and the way it came out sounded a little bit, uh, I guess, a little bit haughty to him. And uh, I don't know if he was really offended or if he was joking and I didn't get the joke. But um, we do that. Uh, we sin with our tongue. Nothing reveals our heart more than our mouths. I don't think there's anything that reveals what's in our heart more than what comes out of our mouth. And that's very scriptural too. We'll be looking at that in just a few moments. Somebody has estimated that we spend 20% of our lives, 20% of our lives talking. Can you imagine? 20% of our lives now, I know that I spend less than that talking, if you don't, if you don't count my preaching. I spend less than that talking. But 10% uh, of 24 hours would be 2.4 hours, so 20% would be 4.8. That means five hours a day our mouth is running, if that's true. Five hours a day. Now, that's average. Some of us do a lot more than that, and some of us much less than that. But if we spend that kind of time talking, then we need to be careful about what's coming out of our mouths. We need to be careful about what it is that we're saying and how we're saying it. And I think one of the easiest sins for anyone to commit is the sin of the tongue. And we're looking at that this evening. So the question is, what can we do about it? If sins of the tongue are one of the easiest sins that we can commit, what can we do about it? What should we do about it? Well, our text today in James begins to offer, offer us some answers. But I'm going to warn you that in offering us some answers, it also raises more questions that are very, very difficult for us to answer. The book of James is an interesting book. Some people have called the book of James the Proverbs of the New Testament. The book of James and the book of Proverbs are very similar, not in style. Proverbs is written more in a poetic style. James is very much written in a prose style or even almost a, a reference book style. But the topics that James deals with and the topics that are dealt with in the book of Proverbs are very 
very similar. And so we're going to look at the book of James. James deals with some very, very practical issues, very practical issues of the Christian life. And so I want us to look at James as he writes this book. James writes the book to talk to us about the Christian life. He uses this book to describe for us what I like to call living out loud. Have you ever heard that term before? Living out loud. We as Christians are to live our lives out loud. And in all honesty, that has very little to do with the mouth. Living out loud means living our Christian life in such a way that other people see the transformation that has taken place in us. Living our lives in such a way that when people look at us, they see Jesus Christ. They can't help but see Jesus Christ. And James talks to us about giving evidence in the way we live our lives, giving evidence of the fact that we are Christians, that we should live our lives in such a way that we give evidence to that fact. Somebody said if we were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? James says there ought to be more than enough evidence to convict us of being Christians. And so James is telling us here that we ought to live on the outside in such a way that people know about the transformation on the inside. Now, before we get to chapter 3, we're going to get there. That's our text. I want us to look at James chapter 1. So if you can flip back a couple pages. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. James 1 and verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man may say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? In other words, what good is it if you claim to have faith but you don't live like it? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed, be filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? James says if we counter somebody who um, lacks daily food or they don't have decent clothes on their back or they're destitute, and we say to them, well, God bless you, brother, I'll be praying for you. See you later. He says, what good is that kind of faith? What good is it? What does it do? Why bother even having faith? That kind of Christianity is a kind of Christianity that says, you know what? I've got my ticket to heaven. That's all that matters. Don't bother me about anything else. As long as I've got my ticket to heaven, I'm happy. Don't go messing with me on anything else. James says, what does it profit? Verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. James says, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? If we are not living in such a way to give evidence of our faith, James says it's worthless. That kind of faith is worthless. That kind of faith is sterile. That kind of faith does not reproduce other believers. That kind of faith does not produce 
faith. Faith ought to beget faith, is basically what James is saying. So in this context that James sets of living our lives in such a way that others see evidence of the fact that Christ lives in us, in that context, now in chapter 3, James is going to begin to talk to us about the tongue, about the tongue. Probably not our favorite subject to study, but one that is quite needful for us to study. James chapter 3, and if you would look at verse 3, James 3, verse 3. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members, that, de that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Now James says our tongue is just a little thing. It's just a little member of our body. You know, it's so small that we probably would hardly miss it. Some of us. Others would miss it a, a whole lot. But it's just a small member of the body. But Paul says, being a small member, it can do great things. You know, you could take a, a, a great ship, uh, like a, an ocean liner, a, a cruise ship, and you could have a rudder not much bigger than that. And it could turn the ship. Now, it's not going to make it turn on a dime, but even the smallest of rudder might cause that ship to turn a thousandth of a degree, and then another thousandth of a degree, and then another thousandth of a degree. And over time, that ship would end up turning. Paul, or James says, the tongue is little, but just like a little rudder can turn a gigantic ship, he said, the tongue is able to accomplish much. Then he goes on and says, the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. Now, we all know what fire can do. Uh, when I was pastoring in New Haven, Indiana, I went to drop off some Bible study materials to one of the men in our church, and I got there and he wasn't home. The wife answered the door, and uh, I said, would you give this to Paul? And she said, sure. And... Uh, I handed her the material, and just about then, um, she either began to smell smoke or the smoke detector went off. I don't remember which. She goes, oh, goodness, and she took off and ran, and she ran back toward the kitchen, and when she got to the kitchen, she screamed. I thought, oh, no, what's going on? So I ran in and ran back to the kitchen, and here she had scooped up all the ashes out of their fireplace and put them in the kitchen wastebasket and set it back where it belonged up against the wall. And uh, by the time I got there, the wastebasket was about that tall, and the flames were shooting up about that high out of the wastebasket by the time I got there. And I said, quick, get me something to put water in. And so she fumbled around and looked and looked and finally handed me this little cup out of her kitchen cupboard. And so I filled the cup with water and put it on the flames and didn't do much. And by now, the flames had risen to where they were up as high as the uh, cupboards that were up above where this um, wastebasket was sitting. 
And I thought, man, if these cupboards catch on fire, I mean, this whole kitchen's going to go. If the kitchen goes, this whole house is going to go. we got to do something. And I, I said, you better call the fire department. So she got on the phone and she called the fire department. And I saw a pan sitting on the stove. So I filled the pan with water and began to pour it in the wastebasket and finally got the flames knocked down and, and uh, got the fire out. But just a little bit of a, a spark, a glowing ember. Might have only been one glowing ember in all of those ashes. And it just about set her house on fire, could have burned her house down. Uh, when I was in Defiance, we had a lady in our church. This lady had grown up out in California where they have forest fires all the time. And her dad was a firefighter that fought forest fires. And, and we've had them as guests in our home. And um, he, he would tell me that there'd be times when he would be in a... In, in an area where he knew that almost every direction there was fire for at least a mile in every direction practically. And uh, they just had one little uh, escape route that they, could, that they could go out. And I said, well, what, what normally causes these humongous fires? I mean, whole forests burn to the ground. And he said, a lot of times it's just somebody getting to the end of a cigarette and flicking it off into some dry leaves, and it sets the entire forest on fire. Doesn't take much. Just a teeny tiny ember burning on the end of a cigarette, and thousands and thousands of acres of trees are burned to the ground because of that. James says that the tongue is like that. It may be little, but it can cause a lot of damage. When I was a kid, I loved fire. I loved playing with fire. I mean, lighting matches was one of my favorite things. Uh, my parents told me that when I was like two years old, I uh, climbed up on the kitchen table and got a box of matches, and I'd light one and say, happy birthday to me, and happy birthday to me. And I was only like two or three years old lighting matches. I just was fascinated by fire. So one day I was playing with some matches, uh, my dad owned a flower shop, and he had a, a workbench, and behind him there was kind of a, uh, he had a, a, like a kitchen cupboard behind him, a countertop, and then on top of the countertop he had a pegboard that he hung things on, so that, that was behind him, it blocked his view. On the other side of that pegboard was another kitchen countertop, and I was back there on that other kitchen countertop, my dad couldn't see me because the pegboard blocked him, and I was back there lighting matches. And my little sister came. I was probably, I'm guessing, about 10 or so about at this time. So my little sister would have been two, maybe two years old. And um, she said, I want to see. So I picked her up and I put her up on this countertop. And I'm lighting matches. Now, my dad would use this countertop in, in the back behind him um, when he was making corsages. And he'd make corsages and he'd, he'd take a box and then he'd grab this Easter grass and put it in the box and lay the corsage in there so it was nice and pretty and, and everything. This is back before Easter grass was made out of plastic. I don't know if any of you remember Easter grass being made out of paper, but uh, this, was, this is what it was made out of back then. It wasn't the plastic stuff. And um, so he had a big box of this Easter grass there on this countertop where he worked to make corsages. And I'm lighting matches. And little did I know that when I lit a match, a little, little chunk of the match tip flew into that box of Easter grass. 
And I'm sitting there, standing there, uh, lighting these matches. My sister's sitting on the countertop watching me. And um, this ember went into this box of Easter grass. And almost instantly, it was just fully engulfed in flames, this box, this box. It was like a box with a, with a hole cut out of the front so you could reach in and grab a hunk of grass. And as uh, soon as I saw those flames, I got scared. I mean, the first thought in my mind was, I am in trouble. And, uh, and I was right. And uh, so what did I do? I ran. I ran and left my sister sitting on top of the countertop, two, maybe three years old. And, and I, just, I just wanted to get far enough away that my dad couldn't find me. And um, did not know that my little sister's hair caught on fire. And uh, she began to scream. And as she was screaming, my dad went back and saw what was happening. He grabbed that box of grass that was fully engulfed in flames. He went, uh, not, quite, not quite that far, but he went about five steps and went through some double doors and out through those double doors was his kind of a workroom, and he had a great big um, tub of, of water, and he just threw that grass in that water, went back in and, and got my sister's hair put out. But he wasn't done. He got my sister down off the counter, and then he came looking for me. And he came through those doors, and his eyes met my eyes, and I saw fire again in his eyes. My dad uh, was not an angry man. I don't, my dad didn't have a temper. I don't remember my dad ever losing his temper. I don't recall him ever yelling. But boy, that day, that day he lost his temper. And I knew I was in trouble. But fire, fire, just a little thing. It was just a, a, just a small piece off the end of that match stick that, that flicked into that, box of grass, and uh, didn't tell you that, that as that fire was getting higher and higher on the shelves up above, he had cans of spray paint where he would spray, spray like a carnation and, uh, and, and tint it, color it, and um, that could have been disastrous. I learned a lesson that day, but James says the tongue is like a fire. It may be little. It might just be a little spark, but that's all it takes. A little spark can burn thousands of acres of, of pristine forest. And, and James says, we need to be careful. A fire is easy to light, but very difficult to put out if it gets ahead of us. It's destructive. It can spread rapidly. It can cause great damage. And words, words are easy to say at times. I mean, it's easy to come out with a, with a put down or, or, or cutting somebody down. We can just really cut somebody to shreds just like a, uh, like a master swordsman would cut somebody to shreds with our tongue. And the words come out easy but they're destructive and the damage spreads quickly. And once we've done the damage, once we've started the damage, it's hard to turn it around. And so we've got to be careful. James tells us that, well, 
let me just back up. I should have learned by 10 or 12, however old I was, I should have learned that matches have a good use, but you've got to learn to use them responsibly. And uh, I hadn't yet learned that. You have to use fire responsibly. And James is telling us we have to learn to use words responsibly. There's something that I want you to get out of the message here tonight. And um, it's something that I have said for years, something that I discovered a long time ago and have said for years. And, and I've got it in large font, bold letters in my notes, and that is this. Words matter. Words matter. We can't think that, oh, it doesn't matter what I say. Oh, I just said this, or I just said that. Words matter. And the particular word that we use matters. The way we say it matters. Words matter. Spiritually speaking, our words can be a source of life, or our words can be a source of death. I want you to think about that. Our words can be a source of life or they can be a source of death. Our words are powerful, so we must learn to control what we say and how we say it. You know, we wouldn't turn our kids loose in a car until they learned how to control that car, until they learned how to drive responsibly. We wouldn't turn them loose in a car. Words are like that. Our words are powerful. They can do great harm, and we've got to learn to control them. told you that James in the New Testament is the New Testament equivalent of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21, we read, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You want to know how powerful the tongue is? Both death and life are contained within the power of the tongue. Death and life. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Now, Solomon's kind of a, kind of a kindred spirit with me. You know, us, us wise guys stick together. You know, no. I, I, I really relate to what Solomon has to say. The book of Proverbs um, saved my life spiritually. The book of Proverbs turned my life around. When, when I was headed in a wrong direction, uh, it turned my life around. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't, I wasn't hooked on drugs or I wasn't uh, an alcoholic or anything like that and nothing against those that are. God's power is great in their lives. But, but my life was going, um, in some ways, an even worse way because I was trying to be a Christian without letting anybody know I was a Christian. Didn't want anyone to find out. And I was living my life kind of one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. And Proverbs turned my life around. So I have, I think, a, a, an extra connection with Solomon here. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but, but uh, I think I know what Solomon's saying in that verse. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul 
from troubles. I believe what Solomon is saying here is this. Whoso keepeth his mouth shut and his tongue inside keepeth his soul from troubles. Now, wouldn't you admit that in your life? That there are times that had you kept your mouth shut and your tongue inside, you would have saved yourself a whole lot of trouble. But because you didn't, now you have to deal with the trouble. Proverbs 12, 18, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. What he's saying here is this. There are those that speak recklessly. You know, just like someone driving recklessly. There are those that speak recklessly. They use reckless words. They don't care what their words mean. They don't realize that words matter. And so they use their words recklessly. And he says they're like the piercings of a sword, using our words recklessly. Now, when we get into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul puts the responsibility for our words, the responsibility for our tongue, the responsibility for any damage caused by our tongue, the Apostle Paul puts it firmly on our shoulders. The responsibility for our words and how we use them, Paul puts on our shoulders. Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Paul says here, don't let anything come out of your mouth that tears down, that destroys, that starts a fire. He says, only let come out of your mouth that which edifies, that which builds up, that which ministers grace unto the hearers. Paul makes it very clear that we are responsible for how we use our tongue. You know, all you have to do is turn on the news. Every single morning I turn on the news and the headline is, so-and-so said such-and-such and now they're in trouble. So-and-so tweeted such-and-such and, such and, such, and now they're calling for their resignation. The mouth. And our fingers are just an extension of our mouth at times on a keyboard as we type. Facebook used to be all we had to do was control our tongue. Now we put it on Facebook, and it's out there not just for one person, but for all of our friends, and some people have settings so all the world can see it. Facebook. There was a young man that was in our youth group when I was an interim pastor at a church in Huntertown, Indiana. He was in our youth group. I think he mainly came because he was interested in a girl in the youth group. don't know that there was any real spiritual draw there. But um, I was invited by him to become his Facebook friend here a couple months ago. I hadn't seen him or heard from him since probably 2003. Uh, it was when I lost contact with him. So for 14 years, I have no idea where he's been or what he's been doing. And his posts are such that one post I'll read and it'll say, I know some of you don't like it, 
But I'm here to tell you that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed of it. And then the very next post, he's using words that if we were to type them in a newspaper, we'd have to use all those funny characters, you know, on the top of the number keys uh, to keep from typing the words that he's using. And um, I realize he's not using his tongue, but in a very real sense, I think these verses still apply. And Paul says we are responsible for the communication that comes out of our mouth or out of our brain through our fingers. We're responsible for it. Jesus gave us some insight as to how destructive words can be. In Matthew 15, 11, he says, Not that which goeth into the mouth defiles a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that defileth a man. It's not the food that we take in. Now, we, we should be eating healthy, granted. But Jesus says it's not the food that goes in your mouth that's going to defile you. It's the words that come out of your mouth that will defile you, Jesus said. Solomon makes us responsible for our words. He says our words can be death or they can be life. They can build up, they can put down. Paul makes us responsible for our words. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Jesus makes us responsible for our words. We are responsible for what we say. Earlier in, the, in James chapter 3, if you're still in James 3, you can back up to verse 2. James says, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. What is James saying here? James says, if you're able to control your tongue so that you never offend in word, then you are a perfect person. And as such, you're able to control every other aspect of your flesh. You are a perfect person. There are no perfect people other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one is able to bridle the whole body. So, James, in his book, makes it clear that we are able to control our tongue. And... If we can control our tongue, we can control other sinful tendencies as well. If, if we're able to control our tongue, we can control other tendencies as well. But let's read on in James 3. Drop on down to verse 7 if you would. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. In other words, man has tamed every kind of beast imaginable. Man has tamed that beast. Whether it's the king of the jungle or the deadliest viper, you know, man has tamed all kinds of beasts. Verse 8, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, I don't know if you're feeling it, folks, but we've got a tension here that's just developed. I mean, we've got a real tension. 
Proverbs tells us we need to control our tongue. Paul tells us, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Control your tongue. Don't let it happen. Jesus says, we need to control our tongue so it doesn't defile us. James says in verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That is a tension in the Christian walk. We have a responsibility to control our tongue, and James says, no man can do it. What are we supposed to do? We are held accountable for taming our tongue. And James says, no man can do it. And the reason is because it's impossible. It is impossible for us in our power. But it's not about what we do. It's not about how in the world do we do the impossible. We don't do the impossible. We can't do the impossible. No man can tame the tongue. Only the power of God can do this for us and in us. And we have to depend on the power of God to make this happen, to cause it to happen. We must allow God to take control. We must lay our speech on the altar, just in a very similar way to the way Abraham laid Isaac on the altar and said, God, here he is. He's yours. We need to surrender our tongue to God. James wants us to take a good hard look at what we say. Is our speech pleasing to God? Is our speech giving evidence to our faith? Or is our speech betraying us as a person of faith? Does our speech cause us to live a life, live the Christian life out loud? Or does it cause doubt to be cast upon our faith? Our prayer should be that of the psalmist. When I was five years old and younger, um, my mom worked nights, and so she got off at 7 a.m. and would come home, and, and um, my sister would be going off to school, my dad would be going off to work, and, and, um, and I was too young for school, so my mom and I would be home together. And so every morning, my mom would have me kneel at the bed next to her, right beside her, or I'd sometimes sit on the floor right beside her as she would read God's word and as she would pray. I'd hear my mom pray for me. She'd say, Lord, I pray that you would take Tim and that you would do with him whatever you want to do. And I can still remember hearing her pray that. But then she would always end her prayer with this. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 19.14, if you want to write that down. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That needs to be our prayer. We need to start every day 
with that prayer. We need to commit our words, our tongue to the Lord, not just in the morning when we start our day, but every time we take control back and we blow it, we need to, again, pray, Lord, I blow it. I pray you take control of my tongue. I submit it to you. It's yours. We might have to do that 18 times a day, but we should do that. You get tiring. I know, been there, done that. But I found that after about the 18th time, I'm thinking, you know, it would be easier to watch what I say than to have to go back and say, Lord, I sin, forgive me, please take control of my tongue again. And it began to change me. We need to hold ourselves accountable. We need to hold each other accountable for our words, whether it be spoken words or our words on Facebook, or our words in a letter, we need to be held accountable. My prayer is that our prayer would be, Father, I ask that you would give me the grace by your Spirit to control my tongue. Lord, help me to yield to your Holy Spirit at the point of my tongue, so that my speech is always filled with grace, seasoned with salt, building up one another. Forgive me, forgive me, Lord, for the sins of speech so frequent, and sanctify my mouth, and by that, my whole body, for your glory.